talk about in the series. And so to, to, to just help you at least be a little bit on track, everybody say first. What we looked at last week was one of the attributes of God, meaning one of the core elements that he is and can never not be, is preeminent, meaning he is first, he is highest, and he is above all. And the problem with God being first is this, is that he cannot be second. Meaning he's first or he's nothing. Because what is better than God? Nothing. What's, what's higher than God? Nothing. What's more, more imminent than God? Nothing. He is preeminent, meaning he is highest above all. So the, the problem that you and I run into many times is, is that when God's not first, God's just not because he, he won't be second. He won't take a back seat. He won't be second. He won't come in second place. Like if there's a race, he's, he's first because he got there before you even showed up to the race. Um, if he plays 18 holes of golf, his score is 18 because if he hits it, it goes in. It's just, that's just the way in the nature of God. His preeminence says, I won't be second. And so what we run into many times as, as followers of Christ is, is that when he's not first, he's just not. And sometimes what we run into is, is that we run into our financial arena of life and we wonder why we struggle or we can't get out of debt or we can't break through these ceilings or those promotions never come or just things don't seem to unfold the way that we want them to. And then we take a step back and we realize maybe God's not first because the problem with God not being first, it's, it's not that he doesn't love you, it's that you haven't placed him first, therefore you're not underneath his provision and his protection in life. And so in this, in this series, I know I'm going to take a leap into what many people find uncomfortable to talk about at church. Can I get an amen? Like, I grew up with a dad who, uh, who loved, loved my dad so much, but, you know, he grew up was like, oh, there's a preacher trying to get your money again. And, uh, and we, we've seen too many abuses of money, or we've seen too many people try to be on what I would call a money grab. That is not what this series is all about. Believe it or not, this is what this series is all about. It's not what God wants to get from you is rather way, way, way bigger is what God wants to get to you. As if God actually needed your money. Really. The, the, the preeminent one. If he wanted your money, he'd be like the government to take it, wouldn't he? But he doesn't do that. God, if, you know, if he wanted your life, he could just take it. He could, he's God. So God is not on a money grab trying to get your money. What he's on is on a heart grab, and he wants to get your heart. And God, throughout all of Scripture, from Job to Malachi and Genesis to Revelation and through the whole thing, what you'll find is, is that money, according to Scripture, is the greatest indicator of the condition of your heart, that there's no other thing. Because think about it. What is the thing that we have the most problem giving up in life? Yeah, it's our stuff which would then be proof that that's the thing that truly is kind of the, the measuring stick and the gauge of where our heart really is. And so in this series, we're talking about how God looks at your stuff and how you look at your stuff and how actually you can get more blessed because how many of you want to live the blessed life? And you want God, well, God's put a blueprint out there. This is not a crapshoot. This isn't a roll the dice and I hope. Does that make sense? God's given specific instructions, and in these instructions, we find the blessing of God. And so in this, in this series, I just need you to know this. I'm not talking about money because the, the church is struggling and I need you to give. No, the church is doing fantastic. As a matter of fact, I think last year was our best year giving ever. This has nothing to do with, like, I, I don't need a raise. I've actually taken two pay cuts since taking over this church, and I'm still more blessed now than I've ever been. It's, it's strange. So, like, it's not about any of those things. It's rather about getting underneath the blueprint of God wanting to bless your life. Because here's what you need to know. God doesn't want to keep you poor so he can keep you humble. If he wanted to humble you, he's got hundreds of ways to figure that out. 
God wants you to be blessed, believe it or not, so that you can be the light of the world, salt of the earth, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Now, here's, here's a question I have for you. When the world comes to a city, does it want to go to the broke city or the blessed city? It wants to go to the blessed city. I want you blessed financially. And here's what I believe with all my heart and what we'll discover today is that when we put God first, his blessing is over everything else that we have. But when it's not, it's just not. So let's pray as we do so this morning. Father, speak to us as we look into these scriptures, God. Let us take these scriptures and take these words. That This is your words. This is your truth. This is your blueprint. And God, we wholeheartedly believe that you want us to be blessed, that you want us to prosper in life, that you want us to go from spirit to spirit, from faith to faith, to elevate our lives, and God, to even perpetuate what you've given us into the next generation, Lord God. We pray that you would be with us and speak to us in Jesus' name. Somebody say amen. Amen. If you have your Bible, go to the book of Malachi with me. Malachi actually talks about this, and it talks about this subject. Because last week we talked about God always being first, and we briefly kind of talked about the idea of the tithe. Now, here's the word tithe. They would have never said tithe. They would have just said tenth. And, and what God instituted, even back in the book of Genesis, is that the blueprint that, that blessing comes from always starts with this tenth. And what we learned is, is that the tenth is not a tenth. It's not a leftover tenth, but it's the first tenth. And I just, I just want to real quick show you one more scripture that, that to me is probably the most uh, profound one here in a few minutes, but let's start in Malachi. We'll get to that in a minute. Malachi chapter three, the Bible says this. The Bible says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you descendants of Jacob are not destroyed. Ever since the time your forefathers have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them, return to me, God says, and I will return to you. But then you ask, well, how are we to return? Now, here's the book of Malachi in a nutshell. If you ever go read the book of Malachi, it's basically four chapters. In chapter one, the whole idea is return to God in your faith. Chapter two is return to God in your family. Chapter three is return to God in your finances. And then chapter four is actually God returning to you. But in this chapter three, we see this idea that they've, they've kind of gone astray. And what's amazing is, is that when they've gone astray, what God immediately says is, look how you've turned. Look how you've just you've gone out on your own. You're doing your own thing. You're outside of the protection and the provision of God. And this is why he's warning them. And, and he ultimately says, you've left me. And they say, well, how, how do we return to you? Listen how God responds. So God responds in verse number eight. He says, will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But then you ask, well, how do we rob you? And this was God's answer. In tithes and offerings. And then he goes on to say, you, therefore, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. And here we see probably one of the most obvious scriptures that the Bible talks about in this thing called the tithe. And what it talks about is this, is that when I've got your heart and you're fully following me, I've got every access into every arena and every department of your life. But when I don't have you, finances is one of the things where it's just kind of a clear indicator. Now, let me ask you a question. Would you ever rob God? Like, how? How would you even pull that off? You know, I don't think he has a vault. I, I, we, would never, we would never think, well, I want to rob God. But what God said is, is, well, you have. And you rob me when you don't put me first because the first is mine. And so all throughout Scripture, you see this idea of first. Check out this real quick here. Genesis, um, I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 13. Look at this Scripture. So in Genesis, he starts introducing the tithe. And then in Exodus, he makes it a decree. Or an ordinance. Isn't that what he said in Malachi? He said, you've, you've, you've turned from my ordinances. 
Here's what an ordinance is. Isn't that a weird word? We don't normally use that word too much in our normal vernacular. Here's an ordinance. It was basically a law that this should be your ordinary behavior. Did you get that? He said, you've turned to me from your, 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 my laws, my decrees, my ordinances, which this should be your ordinary behavior. And this is where it first begins to be instituted as an ordinance. Exodus chapter 13. Listen to this. It says, consecrate to me the firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites, it belongs to me, whether human or animal. Verse 12, you are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock, they belong to the Lord. So again, now why would you be robbing God? Because God said the first is mine. He didn't say it was yours, did he? He said the 90%, the leftover, that's all yours. But the first 10%, believe it or not, that's mine. So when you actually tithe, are you giving your stuff back to God? No, you're giving God's stuff back to God. So listen to this. In in verse 13, this gets so crazy, and we're going to see how it works out in our personal lives. It says, redeem with the lamb every firstborn donkey, but if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. Now, what you'll notice is this, is that he gives two commands. Basically, for like clean animals, he says, I want you to sacrifice the firstborn. And if it's an unclean animal, you need to redeem it by sacrificing another clean animal. Now, here's a question I have for you. Are, Are you clean or unclean? You're, yeah, you're unclean, right? We're all sinners, right? We're all, we're all born in sin and mess and all this stuff. So we're not, we're not clean. And then he says this. He goes, for every unclean animal, you need to redeem it by sacrificing a clean one. Now let me ask you a question. Is Jesus clean or unclean? Isn't Jesus the firstborn among many brethren? Isn't he the firstfruits of God? Isn't he ultimately the tithe that was sacrificed for us? And guess what? God took the unclean and redeemed it with the clean, with the perfect, with the holy. This thing that God asks you to do is something that he himself has already done. See, the tithe always meant the first. And before, before we get to anything else, we just need to go back and remember that, is that the tithe is not the leftover, but the tithe is the first. Everybody say, okay. All right, now you're caught up. Now what we learn is this, is that the tithe is not only the first, but the tithe is the test. Everybody say the test. Yeah. Now, I don't know if you know this. How many of you were great at school and you loved tests at school? How many of you? Great. Anyway, I got a bunch of people that are like me in here. How many of you ever showed up and your teacher was like, all right, everybody pull out your pen and your paper. It's time for a test. And you, what was the first thing out of your mouth? What test? What, whoa, what test? It's like you weren't paying attention the week before or you didn't take notes. Or and so like immediately like, what, what test? What Or they gave you the pop quiz. This is not a pop quiz because God gives it to us. But here's what you need to know is that the tithe is a test. Every time you get paid and you have income coming in, what you do with it is a test. It's automatically a test. Now, when we think about the tenth, the tenth means uh, a 10%, mean a a penny off every dime, a dollar off every 10, so and so and so forth, right? And what God says is that the tithe is a percentage, Meaning that way, that way, if you make $30,000 a year or $300,000 a year, it's, all, it's, 10, it's 10%. And what he goes on to, in essence, say is that this is a test. And the number 10 all throughout Scripture is kind of shown this way. Did you know that? When you read all throughout the Bible, let me give you some examples. When, when God went to give the plagues to Egypt, how many were there? 10. I'm going to give you like the answers to this test. I'm going to give you the answers 10. Are you ready? So real quick, how many, how many plagues were given to Egypt? Yeah, you guys are so confident now. How many times did God test Pharaoh's heart? 
How many commandments were there? How many times did God test Israel in the wilderness? How many times did God test Jacob? Ten. How many times was Daniel tested in the first chapter of Daniel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many virgins were tested to see if they were ready for the kingdom of God? Yeah, how many times in the book of Revelation, uh, how many days of testing were there? Yeah, you guys are getting less and less confident. Like this, <laughs> this test, this is like the easiest test I've ever given in my life. Like I tell you in advance, the answers are all ten. How many disciples were there? No. <laughs> that was just a test. See if you were paying attention or not. The tithe is the test. It's, it's 10. The number of 10 in, in, in biblical numerology, when you see the, the, the number 10 used in Scripture, it's always related to testing. It just is. And so God has given the 10th as a percentage so that it always moves, but it's the number 10 because 10 is the number of testing. And you'll, you'll see this all throughout Scripture. Go back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. God gives Adam and Eve everything on the planet as far as they can get, right? Except for what? At some point, there's one. There's one, and it's God's. And what did he say? He goes, you can't, that's mine. You can't touch that one, that's mine. And what did it end up being? It ended up being a test that they, they failed. I'll give you another example. So, so the Israelites are going into the promised land, and they, they're about to conquer all these cities, and the first city they come to is the city of Jericho. And, and he says this about Jericho, and he never says it again. He goes, now Jericho, don't take any of the spoils, meaning don't take and pillage the gold or the silver or any of the, any of the wealth. That one is mine. But the rest of the cities, he says, that's yours. But the tithe is the first, remember it was the first city, and it was the tenth. And what you notice is this, is that they failed that test, and they go into the next battle, and they lose. And they're like, whoa, God, I thought you were with us. He goes, I told you, you don't touch what's mine. See, the Bible says that the tithe is his, and the tithe is holy, that the tithe is set apart. And this is the test that God gives all of us. When we get any type of income, the question is this, God, who will I honor first? Who will I thank first? Because many of us, we, we, we go thank Visa first. And the problem is this, how many know Visa does not have the ability to bless your finances? They have interest rates. They're not into blessing you. God wants to bless you. And when we get into the tithe and we pass the test of the tenth, then God says here, and, and this is what you got to know, this is the question you have to ask yourself, do I really believe that my 90% with God's blessing is better than with my 100% with no blessing? That's what we ultimately, you know, have to come to a logical reasoning in my mind. Would I rather have 90% with God's blessing all over it, or would I have my 100% with no God at all on it? This is the test that you and I have to pass every time we receive income. And let's keep going. So the tithe is the test. What's funny is this, is not only is, is, is it a test for you, do you know this is the only place in Scripture where God says you can test him? It's the only place in Scripture as a matter of fact, everywhere else it says, don't test God. How many know that's kind of a bad idea? Like, don't, don't test God. In this one moment, we'll read it in a minute, in, in Malachi, he says, test me. See. So God's giving you a test so that you can put him to the test. And God's test is this, is put me to the test to see if I won't bless your life. Everybody say, okay. So that, that was, number one is this, is the tithe is first. Number two, the tithe is the test. Number three is this, everybody say, the tithe. The tithe is biblical. I get kind of kickback sometimes, and, 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 and some people, uh, depending on who you listen to or who you read, you get caught up with weird, goofy ideas. And, and some people, I've said, well, that's Old Testament. So? Do we, do we throw out the Old Testament all of a sudden? And people say, well, that's under the law. That, that, 
That makes no sense. Like, thou shalt not commit adulteries under the law. Did we throw that out too? Don't murder? Did we, did we get rid of that one too? I mean, why, why did we all of a sudden... It, you know what's funny about the book of Malachi when he starts opening this phrase? What's the first thing he says? I'm the Lord, I do not change. So what changed? The only thing that changed from Old Testament to New Testament is that, that Jesus became the sacrifice for your sins. That was it. Instead of sacrificing goats and lambs and doves and all this other stuff, is that Jesus became the sacrifice for your sins. You didn't have to go kill animals anymore. But all the other stuff that's underneath the instruction of God in the Old Testament still has incredible relevance, incredible importance, and it's there to operate in your life so that you can be blessed. And again, we all... We all want to be more blessed now. I can't wait when we get further in the series because when we get further in the series, I'm going to talk about how you perpetuate wealth. There are biblical principles to how you perpetuate wealth. There's a book that I had read about this, about these basically wealthy families, and they discover these principles to how certain families, how many know that you know, they, uh, there's a wealth producer, and then after that, everybody goes broke after that for generations? There's a few select families that took their finances, and the next generation ended up more blessed than the one before, and then they became more blessed than the one before them, and it perpetuated. God wants you to be blessed, and not only you be blessed, for you to perpetuate it into your future. So, so this is why we want to start tithing now so that we get underneath God's blessing. Now, now again, tithing is biblical. Tithing, for those of you who said that tithing is law, think about it like this. Tithing was in Genesis, Right? So he asked Abraham, Abraham's tithing in Genesis, that's 500 years before the law ever came about. Jacob is tithing in the Old Testament, that's 400 years before the law ever came about. We saw last week that Cain and Abel were giving first fruits, and that was, I don't even know how long before, I can't even count that high, before the law came along. So this thing is before the law, it's in the law. As a matter of fact, let me ask you a question. If Jesus told you to do it, would you be convinced? Would that, okay, let's read Jesus. Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is having um, a rebuke-a-thon. There are some hypocritical religious leaders, and he's going at them. But laced in this rebuke fest that he's giving are some hidden truth in there. Let's read it together, verse number 23. He says, Woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees. You're being hypocritical. Here's why you're being hypocritical. Because you tithe off the mint and dill and cumin. Now, my wife knew what those were, but I did not. Those are spices. Yeah, some of you guys knew that because you're smarter than I am. So I had to look that up. So what he was saying is this, is you guys tithe off everything. You tithe off all your income, all your increase. You even go out into your little garden in the back of your yard and, and get the spices and you tithe off that. You guys are crazy, crazy tithers. Make sense? Like over the top, everything is tithe. He says, but you have neglected the weightier matters of the law like justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Now listen to what he says here. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Here's the point he's trying to make. If you tithe, but you have anger and bitterness in your heart, it's, that's not really helping you a whole lot. Like we got to deal with both. Like you can tithe, but if you don't care about justice and faithfulness towards God in the other arenas of your life, then you've only got one piece of the pie. What he was he saying is this. You need to do both. That there's some weightier matters in your heart that do need to be dealt with, but you don't ever neglect the others, meaning that tithing is still something we do because God is always, everybody say first. So Jesus is backing this up because I've heard a lot of people say, well, tithe, that's Old Testament. No, it's, it's, it's across the board. It's a principle. It's the blueprint 
for God to open up the windows of heaven over your life. Even in Hebrews, if you want to go look up another one on your own, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 8 says the same thing. It says that when you bring your tithes, mortal men receive it, but Jesus in heaven who is alive receives it there. Because we don't serve a dead God. Jesus is alive, and when even when you, you, you make a simple act as putting a check in a bucket or going online and doing it or however you do it, is that it's received on earth by mortal men, but in heaven it is received by Jesus who is alive. So who's receiving your tithes? Jesus is. This is not New Testament, Old Testament. This is God always being first and always wanting you blessed. Somebody say amen. Which is what we'll show you now, is that the tithe is, is first. The tithe is a test. The tithe is biblical. Fourth and lastly, the tithe does unlock the blessing. Let's go back to Malachi chapter 3 and I'll show it to you. The Bible says this. It says, bring the whole tithe. This is right after the whole, you're robbing me. Therefore, you're underneath the curse. Curse just means consequences. He said, you want to do this right? You want to return? Bring the tithes, the whole tithe, into the storehouse. The storehouse represented the house of God. That there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out on you so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. I'll make sure that the vines of your field, they will not cast their fruits, says the Lord Almighty. Then, everybody say then. This is the condition. Then all the nations will call you blessed. This is the blessed life. That the world may call you blessed. That you would be a light of the world, salt of the earth, city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. That the world would call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land. This is what he says his promise is. Here's the deal. The tithe is a test. It's a test for you to see whether you'll put God first. And he goes, in doing so, you can put me to the test. And this is what my promise is to you. This is what my guarantee is to you is that I will open up the windows of heaven over your life. Now, here's the deal. If you're an agricultural society, what's the most important thing that you can have? Sun and rain. You need to have, the, you need to have an open heaven, don't you? You need to have the, the, the heavens working on your behalf. He goes, I'm going to make sure that you live in an environment and an atmosphere so that you can prosper. That's promise number one. Number two is this. He says, I'll promise that not only that, but I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops. Again, agricultural society, so they're speaking in their terms. How many of you recognize that life has many devourers? We're not using pests anymore. Now we have other things. How many know stuff breaks? Cars break down. Things come up. The IRS calls out of nowhere. And all these things start eating away at your finances. You got relatives in need and you got to help them out. All these things seem to be nipping and taking away. And you're like, man, all the money just seems to be going. Here's what I know to be true. Every tie that I've ever talked to, um, is, is they kind of live underneath a protection where the, the, the things and the devourers just don't seem to pop up on them as often, and when they do, they're prepared for and able to handle it. Does that make sense? I've even had actual conversations with, with, with uh, there's a gentleman in our church, and he said, Pastor, this, because I shared the scripture with him, he said, I, I'm proof of that. He goes, I used to tithe, and I got away from it and kind of stopped going to church for a while, and sure enough, as soon as I stopped tithing, all types of things, just like hell unleashed on my stuff, and my, everything started just falling apart or breaking, or I, I lost this, or this went down, and all these negative things start happening, and he goes, it, months went by, and then finally it dawned on me, wow, I stopped tithing at that exact same time when all this stuff. What happened? Was God getting you? No. It was that you used to be underneath his provision and protection. And then basically you said, well, God, I'm, I'm going to do it my way. And underneath your way, you are fair game, wide open to the world's 
to the evil, to the enemy coming against and attacking your stuff. But he says, this is my promise to you. I'll rebuke the devourer. The devourer in their word literally meant the seed eater. I'll rebuke the seed eater on your behalf. Promise number two. Promise number three is this, is, is that the vines of your field will never fail. Meaning that when you put your hand to something, as long as you're doing it with wisdom and as long as you're doing it with good stewardship in mind, I will make sure that the, whatever you're putting your hand to prospers. That's promise number three. And then the fourth promise is just reactionary. The fourth promise is this, is that the world will actually look at you and be like, man, I wish I were more like them. Isn't that so funny, though? Because sometimes we look at the world and we're envious of what they have. Can I tell you this? That, that, that the church ought to be in a position to where the world looks at us in reverse and says, man, why is it that they're so happy? Why is it that their marriages stay together? Why is it that their finances are blessed? Why is it they seem like they're so happy? Why is it that their kids aren't as crazy as my kids? Or, or, and the world would look at you, the followers of Jesus, and call you blessed. He goes, this is the promise of God that I want to unleash on your life. But look, he directly relates it to getting underneath the provision and the protection of the tithe. And this tithe is where the blueprint is. This tithe is basically, and, and again, I'm going to talk to you about this in a couple weeks to come. The tithe is not necessarily a magic pill either, though. Because if you tithe and then go out and live recklessly with the 90% left over, that doesn't work either. Like there's stewardship that goes along with it. But this is the starting point. And when we do this, everything else begins to take care of itself. Last scripture, this is the scripture that brings it home and gives you the why. Because you need to know why you tithe. This is not like God's in heaven giving you a law and saying, if you follow it, I'll hook you up, and if you don't, I'm going to curse you. This is, curse means the consequences of doing it on your own. The blessing comes because you put it under God. But listen to why. Exodus chapter 13, he basically says this. He says these words. It says, in the days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Now, I don't know if you've ever had that before or not. If you've got kids, maybe you've had them ask the question, Dad, why do we go to church? Mom, why do we give? Have you ever had that happen before? And you almost got to think, well, what's my response? Uh, I remember last year when starting to talk about this subject, my son asked me, he goes, Daddy, what are you talking about? And he does this all the time. Dad, what are you talking about at church today? And I said, well, son, I'm talking to him about the tithe. And he's like, well, what's tithe? And, you know, this is, we're start getting into it. He goes, well, why do we do that? And it went back to the scripture, and I immediately remember the scripture, and I thought, oh, this moment is happening for me. It gives me the opportunity. Listen to these words. He goes, in the days to come, when you, because you got to think, like, be, be back in their life. Why is it that dad's a rancher, and all of a sudden a herd comes in? And when that herd comes in, daddy goes out and takes a machete and kills that little lamb. And we ain't got no more lambs. That was the first one that came out, and daddy just went and killed it. And it's like, as a little kid, you don't hopefully question your dad too much. You just kind of, oh, okay, well, he's got the machete. I'm not saying nothing. But you get older, and eventually, you know, he gives you more responsibility. He puts you in charge of more. And eventually, you, you know, you need to go to dad, and you say, look, dad, here. You know, I've been managing more of, the, you know, more of the ranch and more of the operations. And uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but you've got kind of a habit about you. You may not even know that you do this, but this is, this is what happens. You may, you may be totally unaware, but you actually go out and you kill the first lamb every year. That's bad for business. I mean, this is, this is, this is hurting our, our, our increase. This is our income we're talking about here. And you keep, I don't know if you know this, but you keep killing our increase. And this is bad. This is a bad idea. Why do we do that? Listen to what he says. 
He goes, when they ask, what does this mean? You will say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. This is why I sacrificed to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb. And then what with the rest? And redeem each of my firstborn sons. He goes, let me tell you why we do this. Let me tell you why we tithe and why we put God first. Because a long time ago, we weren't always free. A long time ago, we were slaves and we had taskmasters and people beat us and abused us and we were not allowed to worship God the way we do now. We weren't allowed to. We didn't have freedom like we have it now. And we always go back and remember that with a mighty hand, the Lord delivered us, that the Lord saved us. And you know what? With my son, it was real simple. With my son, I got to look at my son and be like, well, here's the deal. This is what you need to know. When daddy was a lot, lot younger, daddy was crazy. Daddy did not know Jesus, and he lived fast and wild and loose, and he should have died many times, but God's kept him alive. And, and his life, had he kept going on that path, he would be absolutely lost and destructive to the world around him. But with a mighty hand, the Lord, for some reason, opened up my heart, opened up my eyes, and I repented and turned to him, and with a mighty hand, God saved me. And I, will, I can still take you there to this day. It's, it's, my mom still lives in the same house. There's a spot on the floor I can take you to. It was the moment that, my, that God opened up my heart and I asked Jesus to come in. And I turned to God for the very first time. I can take you to that moment and I can say that right there is why I tithe. Because had it not been for the Lord who with a mighty hand, had he not saved me and delivered me, had he not freed me and forgiven me, nothing else in this life would matter. So it becomes real easy Say, why not put him first? As a new believer, I began going to church regularly. I started giving, but I still didn't understand it. But, but a few years after becoming a Christian, somebody taught me about this idea of the tithe. And when somebody taught it to me, I said, well, that's it, I'm in. I'm down. It, it wasn't even a thought. And let me tell you this real quick here, because some of you know that it's really, really hard to start tithing. And, and here's why. It's because you haven't been tithing. When you live a certain lifestyle financially, it's hard to back it up and start tithing. When you start tithing when you have nothing, <laughs> that's easy. And then when God gives you increase, you never stop. And therefore, you never begin to live beyond your means or live underneath. Why? We are always living in that God. As soon as I get any income, I will honor you first. I will thank you first. I will put you first no matter what. And when you, so here's what I'm telling you. This is the same encouragement I gave you last week. If you're not doing it, here's my encouragement to you. Start somewhere and start now. Some of you say, Todd, I can't do 10% right now. I just couldn't put food on the table and I couldn't do this. I'd lose my, I'm not telling you to, to, to not feed your kids. Don't, don't understand, just mis, misunderstand me there. But start somewhere. It could be saying, God, I'm gonna start at 3% and then pray every year that God, you increase me and as I'm faithful, God, that you, I'll up it at a percentage every year or whatever it is. But start now and start somewhere. And I promise what you'll see is this. As you put God first in your life, you will see an increase of his provision and you will see an increase in his protection. Why? Because you're underneath his perfect covering. You're in on the blueprint of what he's doing. Many of us, we unfortunately operate like this little boy, there was this little boy, and I'm going to close with this. He went to church one day, but his mom wasn't feeling good. And how many know when, when, when you got little kids and you send them to church, what do you do? You give them a couple quarters? Like here, put this in the offering. Did anybody grow up like that? I remember going to church every time with mom or dad or when I church grandma. Here you go, here's a couple quarters, put that in the offering plate. And it was their sweet way of just trying to teach us how to give. And this little boy was given his two little quarters. And his mom said, now here, here's the deal. One of the quarters is for church and the other quarter is to get an ice cream on the way home from church. 
This is obviously a long time ago. <laughs> ice creams are more than a quarter now. But as this kid is going to church, happy-go-lucky, bebopping along, he crosses a bridge that has cracks in it, and he's, he's playing with his quarters like a little boy would that doesn't know what he's doing yet. And, and he drops one of the quarters, and he looks down, sees that he lost one, and he looks in his hand, and he sees another one, and he looks down, and he sees that, and, and he looks up at God and said, God, that's your quarter. I lost yours. This one was mine for the ice cream, but that one was yours. I lost that, and I've, I've given it back to the earth now. Um, my, my point is, is that many of us in life, that's the way we kind of look at our finances. We look, we look at what we have as our leftovers. But how many know that doesn't require any faith, does it, to give God leftovers? It requires faith to, faith to give God our first and to give God our best. And here's, here is the promise, is that when you do that, I'll open up the windows of heaven for you. Because when you do that, you passed the test. And here's the ultimate test. Can I trust you with more? We all want God to increase us. But the question would be, can God trust you with more? And whether or not he can trust you with more has to do with, do you pass the test of, will I put God first? Here's why this series is so important in, in, in the month of January, is that we have an opportunity as a church and as individuals to put God first right now at the beginning of our year. Many times we, we switch over at the year, don't we? We kind of turn the calendar, we turn a new leaf, we flip over the calendar of our brain, and we say, you know what, it's a new year. Let's start it off right. Let's start it off fresh. I'm encouraging you. I want you to be blessed. I don't know if you know that or not. I want you to be blessed. You know what? Even more than I want you to be blessed, God wants you to be blessed. Get in on what he's doing, and I promise you'll see God at work in your life. Let's pray this morning. God, you are first, and there is none like you. God, you are preeminent, and you are second to no one, God. You are worthy of, of being the first and most preeminent and most important thing in our life, Lord God. And that includes in our heart, that includes in our mind, that includes our priorities, and that includes our finances, God. So we pray, Lord, that we would be a people that put you first. God, we pray that we would be a people that are so blessed that the world around us would look and take notice. Lord God, we pray that we would be so blessed, God, not so that we could hoard more and get more, but rather so we could be a blessing to the world around us, so we could take that trip, send that offering, send those missionaries, bless those people, help out our neighbors, God, that we would change the world, God. So, Father, we pray that we would turn back to you, God. Turn back to you in our faith, turn back to you in our family, and turn back to you in our finances, Lord God. That is our prayer today in Jesus' name. Somebody shout amen. 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 Yeah, give the Lord a big hand clap this morning.